Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this point uh, in the middle of the week when we can gather together as a church family and uh, discuss and talk and, and deliberate and meditate on the truth that you have revealed. We thank you especially for the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us into union and communion uh, with the Lord Jesus. And uh, tonight especially as we think about faith and repentance, uh, we pray for your blessing. Uh, Pray especially for those who struggle with both faith and repentance. uh, That as as we think about what it is that the scriptures teach... Uh, that we might make our calling and election sure. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Now, there is a Puritan, and uh, as I'm I'm pausing as I speak, I'm trying to remember uh, which Puritan. Thomas Watson, uh, the Puritan, said that faith and repentance... Now, get this metaphor faith and repentance are like the two wings of a bird whereby we fly to heaven in other words that we need both faith and repentance now there is a YouTube video out there that I've seen of a plane with that one wing is broken and it actually manages to land the thing it's a scary and and one one event in a lifetime or, or not a lifetime actually he survived the experience but, but as, uh, as someone can testify here uh, you, need, uh, you need two wings to be able to fly and these two wings are faith and repentance uh, we are looking at what has been called the order salutis the order of salvation the application of redemption um, How it is that we are brought into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus. And there are things that God does and there are things that we do in response to what God does. Both are necessary. There are things that God does. Last week we were talking about regeneration. Regeneration is not an act of cooperation. It's not something that we cooperate with God in. It is a sovereign, monogistic, divine activity of God. God quickens. God regenerates. We don't cooperate with that. It takes place at the level of the subconscious. What we see in ourselves and in others is the response to that. And the response to that is faith. And repentance. So last week we were talking exclusively about what God does. Here we are talking about what we do. Now, we only do this because God enables us. So faith is a gift of God. We, we only repent because God gives us the ability to repent. But the emphasis here tonight is on what we do. There are, there, are, there are things God does. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
Now, faith and repentance is, is part of that working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. Like we, we are the ones who believe. We are the ones who repent. God doesn't believe for us. God doesn't repent for us. Now this response, thinking of it in terms of a response on the part of uh, an individual, uh, we sometimes use the language of conversion. Um, the verb to turn in First Thessalonians uh, 1 9 uh, to turn from, from sin to God to turn and uh, those of you for whom this is meaningful and if it's not just, just forget it let it drift through your mind and out the other, uh, other, other ear uh, but the Greek verb epistrepho uh, to, um, to turn uh, and the verb, the verb is indicative of actually a physical turning you turn away from sin and you turn in the direction of God. Now, let's, let's get some theological issues on the table, and, and we'll obviously come back to them uh, in a minute. Um, what distinguishes a, a, a Reformed or a Presbyterian or a, or, a, or a Westminster Confession or a Shorter Catechism view here of faith and repentance uh, is... In the order, go back up to the order, you've got effectual calling, regeneration, then repentance and faith. Now, in an Arminian uh, understanding, that gets flipped because part of Arminianism's basic tenet is that we have free will. Whatever that means, and it means different things to different people, but the mantra is that we have free will. Uh, the freedom of all possible choices. Which means that we have the ability, the native ability to believe. Now, this order is saying something different. This order is saying, before you can believe and before you can repent, you need to be regenerated. So which comes first? Regeneration or faith? L logically, which comes first, regeneration or faith? And, and if, if, you're, if you're Arminian, if you, if you believe in something called free will, you're, you want to say faith, that, that the person has the freedom to choose in the absolute sense of that term. Uh, and, and the Bible says the opposite is our, is our my contention because the Bible says that by nature you are dead in trespasses and in sins. In, in other words, that you don't have a native ability, you have a native inability. That, that, that every individual born in this world is born in union with Adam, not in union with, with Christ. So, so this is... This is actually one of the issues that divides uh, post-Reformation, um, late 16th century, certainly early 17th century, uh, leading up to uh, our standards, the Westminster Confession, the Shorter Catechism. Uh, they argued and debated issues like this, uh, like the Order Salutis, that, that regeneration is a prerequisite for faith and <coughs> Uh, repentance, part of, a, part of a wider debate on the relationship between uh, divine sovereignty 
and human responsibility. Now, look at point four. Uh, point four, and, and this is, um, you know, th- theologians, Christians um, debate and argue things that really they shouldn't debate and argue about. But, but, and, and this is a perfect example of it. Uh, there, there has been a discussion. Um, for 150, 200 years or so, uh, stretching from the middle of the 17th century right through to the middle of the 19th century for sure, uh, in, in circles like ours as to which comes first, faith or repentance. Do you believe first and then repent or do you repent first and then believe? Well, uh, there are Bible texts that suggest the priority of repentance. So I've got three of them here, Matthew 3 verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the first words out of John the Baptist's mouth or the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospels are words that suggest repentance, that there's a priority of repentance. Uh, Acts 2.38, this is uh, the day of Pentecost, Peter uh, preaching after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he gives that extraordinary sermon Uh, that this is that sermon in which he takes the Old Testament and promises and prophecies in the Old Testament and he says now Jesus is the fulfillment of of all of that, that extraordinary sermon. And then in verse 38 he says, and Peter said to them, repent, he reaches the conclusion of his sermon, right, he comes right to the end of the sermon and what does he say at the end of the sermon? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. The priority of repentance. Or Act 17 uh, in Athens. uh, Paul, the times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. The priority of repentance. So let's talk about that just for a second, um, the importance of repentance as, a, as a, an emphasis in preaching, teaching, evangelism. So when you present the gospel, you, you have an opportunity uh, to speak to somebody about the gospel, and it may be a short little opportunity, one of those two, three minute, five minute, 20 minute providential opportunities where you just meet somebody and, and the door opens to talk about the gospel or, or it's one of these situations where, where you, you have been uh, talking to somebody for a long time and, and uh, you sit down with them and let's, let's, let's talk. What's going to be one of the emphases? What are, the, what, what are you going to talk about? Well, you're going to talk about Jesus and you're going to talk about the cross and you're going to talk about the forgiveness of sins and so on, but... but here are three texts, John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, Paul, and, and what, what is it that they are emphasizing? Repentance. If repentance isn't a part of your distillation of the gospel, but you distill the gospel down to, 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 its, uh, to its bare bones, I'm mixing my metaphors. The distillation metaphor was heading in a direction I didn't want to go to, so I, I, I changed the metaphor. But you, you've, you've, uh, you've, you've pared it down, another metaphor, you've pared it down. What's, what's left? What's, what's essential? Without which, 
There's no gospel. Well, these texts will suggest to you that uh, repentance is one of them. Now, is that a characteristic of modern preaching? Is that a characteristic of modern evangelism? Come to Jesus and all your troubles will disappear. That's the gospel. Your best life now. I won't tell you the name. Uh, the priority of repentance. Repentance has to be a part of the gospel. You need to repent. Of course, the priority of repentance is related to the priority of sin. If you have a low view of sin, you're also going to have a low view of repentance. What are you repenting of if if there is no sin? So, so So these are intimately related to each other. So so just note that and ask yourself, not just about other people and other churches and other Christian ministries, but ask it about yourself in your understanding of the gospel. What place does repentance have? We're going to pray tonight. What are we going to pray about? How often do you pray about the issue of repentance. Lord, there's sin in my life and I need to repent of it. In the sense of epistrepho, I need to turn around from it. I need to turn away from serving sin and I need to turn in the direction of serving God. Well, let's go to point five. Because the Bible says the opposite now. The priority of faith John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not a mention of repentance, but faith, believing. Or Acts uh, 16, uh, Paul in uh, Philippi uh, and uh, the Philippian uh, jailer. Uh, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, this is the jailer. Uh, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that a great question? You know, how many times in your life has that actually happened to you that somebody has said to you, What must I do to be saved? You know, we, we, we pray for opportunities like that. What must I do to be saved? And they said, uh, this is Paul and Peter, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe. Again, there's no mention of repentance. The emphasis here is on faith. Don't you love it when the Bible seems to contradict itself? I mean, there are passages in the Bible that, that talk about repentance as a priority, and now there are passages in the Bible that speak about faith, and there's no mention of repentance. If you have a mind to, and some people have a mind to, you can, you can pit one scripture against another and you can draw the conclusion that scripture is all over the place. That scripture contradicts itself. Well, let that thought dwell in your mind a little because we need to resolve this and we're going to resolve it in a second, but I just want, I just want you to see that Yes, repentance is a part of the gospel, but faith is also part of the gospel. Believing. 
Trusting. Uh, drop down to six. Now Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, now you've got both of them. R- repent and believe. Well, it's repentance first and faith second. Repent first and believe second. Actually, no. I think that repent and believe here is used as a synecdoche. I used to think this word was synecdoche, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's synecdoche. Uh, the, the, the one can be used as a substitute or, or inclusive of the other. These two are intimately, intimately related. Faith and repentance are like two sides of a coin. If you can bring me just one side of a coin... Can, can you do that? Can you just, just bring me the one side? No, you can't. Right, every coin that you're going to bring me is going to have two sides. And, and, and depending on which side is up, that's the one that's being emphasized. It's either heads or tails. But they both belong together. They both make up the one coin. Well, faith and repentance are like that. All faith must be a repenting faith. All repentance must be a believing, trusting repentance. Otherwise, it's going to be legalistic. The the two are married to each other. Faith and repentance. So the faith that is expressed in the New Testament is always a a repenting, a penitent faith. And the repentance that is expressed in the New Testament is is always a believing, trusting repentance. You come to Jesus with your sins, but you trust him. You trust him that he's not going to He's not going to take those sins and, and, and hold you, as it were, accountable once again. No, those, those sins that you want to repent of are sins that are also embraced within the faith that you are placing in Jesus as your substitute and sin bearer. Well... However, my point was that Reformed theology uh, debated this for 200 years and came to different conclusions. And I've got examples of that uh, here. Uh, Shedd, W.G.T. Shedd, uh, Northerner, New York, uh, Yankee, if you wish, um, 19th century, uh, one of the great leading... Uh, systematicians of the 19th century, but he, was a, he, he represented very often the northern side in a debate with people like Thornwell uh, and, uh, and Palmer and, and others. Uh, Shedd said, uh, evangelical faith is the particular act that unites the soul to Christ. For this reason, it stands first, faith, 
stands first in the order of the acts that result from regeneration. Interesting statement. The the priority of faith. And and more than that, for Shed, is more than just uh, a priority in terms of emphasis. I I think Shed is taking that even further and saying that there's some kind of chronological priority. That the first thing that emerges as a result of regeneration is faith. The, the first signs of that life is faith, is trust, is believing. Repentance will come later and, and, and as, a, as a subsequent thing to faith. But faith is the first thing. Uh, again, uh, shed... Though faith and repentance are inseparable and simultaneous, yet in the order of nature, faith precedes repentance. Now, if you ever want a sentence in which it seems to contradict itself in the very same sentence, then that's probably one of them. Uh, Because I think he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth at the same time. Uh, You know, what he gives with one hand, he takes away with the other. Uh, I just wanted to see, I don't want you to get all excited about Chad here, I just, uh, Chad's a good guy, he's not a liberal, he's not a sop, uh, I mean he's a good guy, he's reformed, uh, he's, he's somebody that you can generally trust about theological matters, uh, he's, he's one of the good guys. Um, but just an example of, of, of sometimes what happens in theology, uh, where there are two, two equally important things, you just stress one thing, or you stress one thing is more important than, than the other. Shed's argument, and, and, and listen to his argument, what he, what he uses as an argument to emphasize the priority of faith is to say that if you put repentance before faith, you make that repentance, in his language, legal in nature. In other words, in order to maintain the freeness of the gospel... Faith alone, in Christ alone. You've got to put repentance, as it were, um, subsequent to that faith. You've got to ensure the freeness of the gospel first and, and then bring in repentance. Otherwise, faith might be, might be based on something that I do, namely repentance. Well, the problem with that is, I mean, it sounds, it sounds okay and you, you, you can almost buy into that, except that faith also is something that we do. You know, what, what you say about faith being le- uh, repentance being legal as a kind of works, right? So you've got, you've got a little bit of works and then faith. But if you flip it around and put faith first and repentance second, faith is also something that we do. Right? I, I'm the one who believes. I'm the one who trusts. Now, God enables me to do that, but at the end of the day, faith is an act that I do. So, so, so the, the, problem, the problem with that is that it's equally true of faith as it is of repentance. Both of these things, both of these things are necessary. Uh, similar debates in uh, Hodge and, and, and so on. Uh, this is also an issue that emerges in the marrow controversy. You say, what is the marrow controversy? Don't say that out loud. 
you are in the ARP church, right? The A in the ARP church is the marrow controversy. That's why we are the ARP. Otherwise, we would just be the RPs, the covenanters, uh, the the reformed church of uh, uh, the covenanting church of North America, the one with the with the seminary in Pittsburgh. Uh, the RPCNA, Reformed Presbyterian Church in North America. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the R part, the Reformed part in our name. But the associate part is the Maru controversy. Um, the Ochterada Creed. Who was watching the golf at the weekend? Oh, come on. Who was watching the golf at the weekend? Where was it from? Yes, but where in Scotland? <laughs> Glen Eagles. Where is Glen Eagles? <laughs> where the marrow controversy broke out. Och, uh, I was uh, FaceTiming Sinclair Ferguson on Saturday and uh, saying, were there copies of the marrow of modern divinity available at Glen Eagles for all the golfers? Uh, the marrow controversy, which is part of our History is a big issue. We won't go into the marrow controversy uh, this evening. But it, it is about the issue between law and grace, between repentance and faith. And if you put repentance first, you kind of make repentance into a kind of work followed by faith. That, that was part of a, a huge spat uh, in the marrow controversy that led to the church that is the A in ARP. Uh, Burkhoff, uh, Louis Burkhoff, who's heard of Louis Burkhoff? Uh, systematic Theology, one of the great books on systematic theology. If you can only, if you can only buy one uh, systematic theology, um, that's going to be a difficult thing to answer. But I would say Burkhoff would be a good buy. If you can only have one, you can only afford one, you want to buy your wife a Christmas present, a Valentine present, buy her Burkhoff Systematic Theology. Uh, I was at a funeral recently, and um, not, not in this church, and, uh, uh, but he attended here on Wednesdays, um, wonderful, wonderful man, and, um, but he gave his uh, wife for her birthday one year, a fire extinguisher <laughs> for the kitchen. Uh, so, Burkhoff's systematic theology would be a whole lot better than a fire extinguisher for the kitchen. Uh, but Burkhoff takes the opposite view. There is no doubt that logically repentance and the knowledge of sin precede the faith that yields to Christ in trusting love. There it is. Uh, Burkhoff, Systematic Theology, 492. Um, now, th- this is all very interesting. It's fascinating to some of us. And, and this is the kind of stuff we talk about at, at seminary and in classroom for hours and hours. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's fascinating. But why is this fascinating? It's, it's not which comes first, faith and repentance. The discussion is fascinating because it tells me how it is that you actually understand the gospel. I don't care which you, which you argue for, faith or repentance, because both are going to be right. 
But if you say faith is first and repentance second, I'm going to say yes. And if you say repentance is first and faith is second, then I'm going to say yes. Because they're both the same. It's like two sides of a coin. It just happens to be that you're bringing me a coin with the heads up. And, and, and next time you're going to come and you bring, bring me a coin with tails up. Bo- both are good. But in the process of arguing, you're going to tell me something about your understanding of the gospel. Because there's an instinct. There should be. An instinct within us to make sure that our understanding of the gospel isn't based on something that we do. Right? That's, that's part of our evangelical instinct. We want, to, we want to make absolutely sure that we're not saved because of a work that we performed. And for some, putting repentance first hints at that. And I'm saying it's, it's equally true if you put faith first, There's also a hint because faith is something that we do. The answer to both of them is that the faith and repentance is something that God enables us to do. That's what saves the gospel. It doesn't say that you don't have to repent. It doesn't say that you don't have to believe. But your very ability to repent and believe is something that God initiates through regeneration. That's what's going to save the gospel. But why why does this debate take place? You say, do people seriously talk about stuff like this? Well, if you love the gospel, right? If you love the gospel, this is, this is the kind of thing that gets you all fired up. Because if somebody is saying something that hints at salvation by works. I mean, haven't you been at a, haven't you been at a funeral where, where, where somebody is giving a, testimonial and, and, and it just works he was a good man he was a great man and he did X, Y, Z and you want to stand up and shout preach the gospel because he was also a sinner saved by grace alone through faith alone right now you don't do that at a funeral of course you endure it <laughs> you understand but Craig and I have been at many a funeral where we, we, we sometimes want to say, make sure that you say something here about the gospel too, about Jesus. Well, that's why I like this, this debate. It's, it's, it, the details of it are, are often immaterial, but the instinct that you want to, you're trying to preserve the gospel here. Now, there's another issue here, and that's uh, number seven, the problem of the experience of conversion. Now it's one thing to say that you need to believe and that you need to repent. But how does faith and repentance show itself? What kind of faith? What kind of repentance? Well listen to the Westminster Confession. uh, Chapter 14. It's actually in the section on faith. Faith acts differently upon that which each particular passage thereof of Scripture contains. Now, let me, let me exegete what, in part, that statement is suggesting. Um, let me remind you of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Do you remember Pilgrim's Progress? From three years ago, we spent a year or so going through uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Do you remember one of the 
one of the issues in Pilgrim's Progress, you know, you have this man, he's got a book in his hand, uh, he's, he's looking rather, rather downcast, he's got his back towards the city of destruction, he's got a burden upon his back, evangelist, uh, uh, says to him, can you see... Uh, can you see the cross? And, and he can't. So Evangelist says, can you see yon wicked? Not wicked, but wicked, meaning narrow. Can you see the narrow gate? Now, Bunyan got into a lot of trouble for that. You know, what, is the, what do you say to somebody with a burden? Somebody who's got a, the burden of sin on his back. Head towards the narrow gate. Don't you want to say... Head to the cross, head to Jesus. Actually, you're about a third of the way into the story before he ever loses that burden. He has to go to the house of interpreter. Remember, he sees seven uh, different things, and he's, he's along. He's, the story has progressed before finally uh, he climbs that hill, and, and the burden on his back rolls down into the tomb and disappears. And, and you sort of breathe a sigh of relief, and you say, At last. And Spurgeon, uh, in a very famous sermon, uh, unfairly, very unfairly, criticized Bunyan. It was a good preaching point, but it was unfair of him to take it out on Bunyan. Um, uh, criticized Bunyan because he said he had, he had met a fishwife. I don't believe a word of this, but he said he met a fishwife who said to him, told him he was going to preach about uh, the cross, and he was going to mention Bunyan, and she, and she apparently said to Spurgeon that if she had written Pilgrim's Progress, she would have made sure that Christian had lost his burden a lot sooner than Bunyan did. And Spurgeon agreed with her in the sermon. Now, what, what's going on in, in, in passages like the uh, rich young ruler? For example, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A great question. How many times has that happened to you? Somebody come running up to you and say, and say to you, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, you remember, takes him to the law. And do you remember what the rich young man says? All these I have obeyed since my youth. You know, what kind of person says that? Well, a lot of people say that. You know, I do my best. I mean, I can't do any more than that. You know, I, I, I tried my best. I did my best. That's all, that's all that anyone can ask. Actually, God asks for more than that. God, God isn't interested in your best. He wants perfection. Remember what Jesus said to him? Uh, Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Would you ever say that? As an answer to a question from a, a, a young man? I mean, the church needs young men. I mean, any, any church worth its salt would say, get that young man into membership now. Church needs young men. Church needs rich young men. I mean, imagine what that would do to stewardship. 
This is a, this is a catch. I mean, this is a prize catch. And Jesus says to him, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And he lets him go. How many marks out of ten would you give Jesus as an evangelist? Now, you, 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 may, you may think, <laughs> you, you may think that's uh, an offensive question, but I'm, I'm going to ask it. How would you grade Jesus as an evangelist? Well, let me ask you the question in a different way. In the light of a modern view of what the gospel is, of what evangelism is, create an atmosphere, get the mood right, get people to come down, nice background music, soft-spoken prayer, come on down, play just as I am, over and over and over. Keep on appealing until they come down. Right? Have, have evangelists ready to say the sinner's prayer, give them a Protestant absolution, in nomine patri, et spiritus sancti, and fili et spiritus sancti, amen. To say the sinner's prayer, repeat after me, and, 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 and the kingdom is yours. And Jesus is saying, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. How, how many marks would you give Jesus as an evangelist? Now, what this is saying is, Perhaps we need to think about what the gospel actually is here. Because the gospel is not gospel unless it contains repentance. Right? Until this young man understands what he needs to be saved from sin, the gospel isn't going to mean anything to him. I mean, if the gospel is the best life now, the, the, the absolute crucial importance here of emphasizing not just faith, but faith in whom? Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. But which Jesus? Because there are lots of Jesuses out there. The, the Jesus who, 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 who is a good man. The Jesus who is, who is every man. The Jesus who saves everybody. The Jesus who pats you on the back and says, Well, all I need you to do is to try harder. Or the Jesus who had to come and die and shed his blood. Because apart from that, you and I are going to hell. Because that's what sin is. Sin is that serious. And you can't have Jesus and keep your desire for sin. Having Jesus means a desire to turn away from sin. Faith and repentance. Now, uh, let me, let me uh, because of the time here, I, I, want to, I want to go to... Um, I'm going to be turning over some pages here. So let me go to um, point number 10, right, on page 5. Point number 10, Reformed Doctrine of Faith, 
Uh, and let me go to the three, uh, the three aspects of faith. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Faith involves knowledge. How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It involves content. Who are you believing in? Why are you believing in him? Knowledge. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. It has knowledge. It has content. But it's more than knowledge. The devil has knowledge. I mean, the devil knows what faith is. He can give you a definition of faith. He knows who Jesus is. He can give you a definition of who Jesus is. It also involves a scent. Uh, a scent at several levels intellectual ascent, volitional ascent, uh, you might even want to say. Um, Emotional assent. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd and they follow him. Uh, but it also involves trust. You know, there's a, there's a chair here and it's made of, um, I don't know what this material is. What is this material? It's metal. Solid. It's firm. It's not one of these chairs that wobbles. It'll, it'll, it'll hold me. I'm absolutely confident this chair will hold me. I look at it. I see it. I see its shape and form. I've seen others like it. I have knowledge of it. I assent this chair is going to hold me. But not until I actually sit down am I exercising faith. I've got to rest in it. I've got to lean back in it. I've got to close my eyes and go to sleep in it. It's not just knowledge. It's not just assent. It's also trust. Fiducia. Uh, it's where the Reformation departed from Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism believed that faith was believing what the church told you to believe, even if you didn't understand it. Because most of what it told you was in Latin, so you didn't understand it. But you believe it to be true because the church said it was true. Right? And the Reformation says, no, you've got to understand it for yourself. And you've got to trust it for yourself. A sure and certain knowledge of God's benevolence towards us. Famous definition uh, of uh, faith from, uh, from Calvin. Now drop down to 12. Uh, faith is liable to degrees. How much faith do you need in order for that faith to be saving faith? That's, a, that's an important question, of course. The Bible talks about little faith. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Right? There's little faith. There's great faith. 
Matthew 15:28 Jesus answered a woman great is your faith be it done for you as you desire and her daughter was healed instantly there's little faith there's great faith uh, 2 Timothy 1:15 there's growing faith uh, Paul is talking about Timothy I'm reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well uh, strong faith uh, Romans 4:20 no Unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God uh, about Abraham. Uh, the least amount of faith, 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Not sour. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he was on vacation, so there was no proofreader. Uh, but your faith. But how much faith do you need? How much faith do you need for it to be saving faith? Well, so long as that faith is rooted in Jesus, it is saving faith. It may be weak and it may be strong. It may waver. But so long as it is rooted in Jesus, it, as Spurgeon once said, Faith may be as thin as a spider's thread, but so long as it is rooted in Christ, it is saving faith. You're not justified on the quality of your faith. Do you see, do you see that instinct within us? It's an Adamic instinct that we always, want to, we, we always want to turn it back into works. Okay, so we know that faith is important in justification, but it's, we are justified by strong faith. We are justified by unwavering faith. We are justified on the quality of our faith. And all of a sudden, you've taken faith and made it into a work. But that instinct, that Adamic instinct, is, is always there. You always have to watch out for it. It's not the quality of your faith, but the fact that that faith is rooted and grounded uh, in the Lord Jesus. Now our time is up and uh, we needed to say a whole lot more about repentance and the importance of repentance and the quality of repentance and, and it'll have to wait for another time. Because uh, we're going to segue uh, to a time of prayer. We'll be joined uh, in a few minutes by others. Uh, I do urge you to stay if you can and occupy as many tables as you can. We'll, we'll be praying until... Uh, until 7.30 or so. But let's, uh, let's conclude this lesson together in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we barely scratch the surface of some of these great truths. And because of your spirit, our appetite is often such that we desire to hear more because we've got so many questions of our own. We pray especially tonight that we might make doubly sure again that our faith is rooted in the Lord Jesus and in him alone for our salvation. And we thank you that you don't turn that around and, and make that dependent on the quality and quantity of our faith. Uh, but that even, even those of weak faith, but whose faith is in Jesus and not in themselves and not in their works, but because of trials and difficulties and perhaps because of temperament 
And because of emotional and psychological issues, they, they waver. Uh, we, we thank you again for the knowledge that so long as that faith is in Christ and in him alone, it is saving faith. Now grant us faith that is repentant and repentance that is believing. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.